Proverbs chapter 16, I'll begin reading at verse 25. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. He that laboreth, laboreth for himself, for his mouth craveth it of him. An ungodly man diggeth up evil, and in his lips there is as a burning fire. A forward man soweth strife, and a whisperer separateth chief friends. A violent man enticeth his neighbor and leadeth him into the way that is not good. He shutteth his eyes to devise forward things. Moving his lips, he bringeth evil to pass. The hoary head is a crown of glory, if it be found in the way of righteousness. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. You may be seated. I greet you in Christ's name. I'd much rather preach the word than I would to talk about Mormonism. So there's a lot more life in it. Thank you, Nate, for reading that passage. just want to touch on a, a few of those verses as, before we go much further here. There's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You see the title of the message here is The Devil's Workshop. For everything positive, there has to be a negative, right? And so this morning we're looking a little bit on the negative side, um, but I think we want to end on a positive side. <clears throat> Verse 7 says, An ungodly man diggeth up evil in the lips, and his lips there is as a burning fire. A froward man soweth strife, and a whisperer separateth chief friends. Verse 32, he that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a spirit, uh, taketh a city. And you look at the, the title here, The Devil's Workshop. I want, to, I want you to think in your minds a little bit. Think about the devil having a workshop. And what he does in his workshop, he's out there to destroy. He's there to kill. He's there to bring disunity. He's there to simply tear apart the body of Christ. That's what he wants to do in his workshop. And I want you to think of some of the tools that he uses in his workshop. And I don't have anything up here today as tools that he uses other than I think I have a cell phone. So we're going to say that'll be one of the tools he uses, right? And there's some other tools that he uses. But one thing you will notice is that some of the very tools that the devil uses in his workshop, God uses in his workshop. Some of the very things that are meant for evil, the devil means for evil, God can use for good. <clears throat> I want to read here another verse in James chapter three, uh, 3, verse 6. And I'll have most of them up here on the overhead if you can see. James 3, verse 6, 6 says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. This morning, we, we don't want to look at our neighbor beside us. What we want to simply do is look at what is taking place in my own heart. Could it be that I have become deceived in one way or another? Here 
Have you fallen victim to the snares of the devil? Are you living under the influence of, of the adversary? Could it be that you're right where the devil wants you to be? And I hope we're not. But I think we need to look at the possibility. Could it be that I am right where the devil wants me to be? You look like a Christian. You sound like a Christian. You act like a Christian. You say that you are a believer and a child of the king. But in reality, you have never truly repented and forsaken sin. Or your heart is far from God. Or maybe you have made a commitment to God, but you have strayed away from God. You haven't kept up your walk with God. Or maybe you have become bitter. Somebody has done something that has hurt you very deeply. And maybe it was through a church split. Maybe it was through just day-to-day activities. But somebody has done something, and you look back at that person and say, he is the problem. Or maybe you love yourself more than you love God and others. Maybe you are selfish and self-centered. Or you are an accuser of the brethren. Or maybe you struggle with gossiping about others. Or maybe you have lied or you lie. Or maybe you hate your brother. Or maybe you have become judgmental and condemning. I don't know where you find yourself this morning, but I think I have to keep looking into my own life and to see whether I have fallen away from God, whether I have followed my own selfish inclinations, or whether I am living in the power of the gospel. What kind of fruit is coming out of your life? I don't think we are called to to be judgmental or condemning, but I think we are called to be fruit inspectors. Everybody has something coming out of their life. What is reality in your own life? A few more questions here. Do you find it difficult to surrender your all to Jesus Christ? I I see a lot of faces here who are at reach, and I'm blessed by that. And I was challenged there at reach again this week. Am I willing to say yes to God regardless of where it takes me? Say, God, look, I'm here to share, share the light. Your light. Just use me wherever you want to be. Is that where we find ourselves this morning? What if a brother or sister comes up to you and says, Brother or sister, why are you doing this? Or why are you living that? Why is this fruit, why is this fruit coming out of your life? Do I chafe at correction? Have you kept the covenants that you have made before God in the church? I think most of you here, most of us here have made covenants before God. We say, we will, yes, we will be faithful to the word of God and to his teachings. We will be faithful to the church that we are a part of. Do you willingly submit to the body of Christ? One thing I find in ministry as we work with a lot of different people is that the concept of the body of Christ is very foreign to most people. But is it becoming foreign to the Anabaptist people? I hope not. But sometimes we are influenced and we say, just let me do my thing and you do your thing and we'll be okay. That's how a lot of people live their lives. But that's not how the body of Christ ought to be. Do I, am I willing to submit to the body of Christ? Has deception found its way into my heart? I think you're hearing what I'm saying here this morning. I hope you can hear the cry of my heart as we, as we go in, through this message But when we stand before God on the final day of judgment, will there be any excuse good enough to turn away God's wrath? 
Will there be any excuse good enough to turn away God's wrath from judgment, from judging me? Here's some excuses that I've heard a little bit too often. God, it's my brother or sister's fault that I am not right with you. They didn't come to me when I needed them the most. Don't you think that's an excuse God will say, okay, I get it. Just come on into the pearly ga- enter the pearly gates. No. No. It's not my brother and sister's fault. God, I tried so hard to do the right thing, but I was no match to the devil. Is that true? We are no match to the devil. But guess what? The power of God is. And it's not only a match, it far supersedes the power of the devil. And I think we need to realize we are not, when we are saved, or when we, have, when we are born again, the very power who has saved us can keep us. And that we are to live through that power. God, if you would have just changed my circumstances, I could have served you. I'm pretty sure in a group this size, there's probably a lot of things you wish that would be different about your life circumstances. And if this would just be different, I could serve God with my whole heart. If my parents weren't ailing, I could go here. If I wasn't faced with this temptation, I could live in victory, right? Those excuses aren't good enough. God, I couldn't handle the cross you gave me to bear. What does the word of God say? He will not give us he, he will not tempt us beyond what we are. What he will give us the power to bear. Another excuse: God, life was so unfair, and look at all the abuse I faced. Can you just cut me some slack and just overlook the wrong that I have done? So many people are suffering today, are broken because of being of facing abuse. They've been abused as a child. They've been abused when they were innocent. But did you know that that is not a good enough excuse for God to allow us to enter? There's a, there's a, a man that I've been with, friends with for so many years, for a good number of years, I'd say about six and a half years. And you could, he struggled a lot. And yeah, he still struggles today. But he had, a, he had a lot of bitterness in his life. And because of that bitterness that he had in his life, he also faced severe depression. For 40-some years, chronic depression. You couldn't always tell it when you, when you met him. He was very happy, go-lucky kind of a fellow. Always trying to make it look like he had life together. But when he would go back home, he would be depressed. He would lay in his bed for hours and days at a time. But guess what happened when he gave in to the power of the gospel? Guess what happened when God reached down and touched his heart? And when he chose, say, I will forgive my mother. I will forgive those who have wronged me. And I will not push the blame on them. I will not accuse them. Guess what happened to his depression? The power of the gospel disappeared. It went away. That is the power of the gospel. Who do I think that I am in the presence of a holy God? 
I think too often we don't come before God with the whole, with the awe, with the fear that we should. Yes, God is a loving God, but God is a just God. He is a righteous God. He is not a respecter of persons. He's a God that loves us very dearly. But I think as we come before him, we should come before him trembling, as it were, with that kind of reverence. Revelation 21, verse 27 says this, And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. What will enter into the pearly gates of heaven? There will no wise enter into it anything that defileth. The reality is this. If I am selfish, condemning, proud, impure, a liar, unholy, unrighteous, unforgiving, bitter, angry, and sinful... Then I have fallen snare to the devil, and he is doing his best to shape me into his likeness. He wants to take you and I, and he wants to take us to his work, his workbench, and just use whatever method he can to simply help us walk away from God. Maybe it's through the cell phone, through impurity. Maybe I can go on here. Yeah, I might have covenant eyes. I may have a lot of good things to try to protect myself. But the devil knows our weak areas, and that's where he wants to come. He wants to come get us where we're vulnerable. And he wants us to forget that there is a power that is greater than him. He wants us to forget that we are serving a powerful God who has redeemed us. He wants us to forget that we can walk in newness of life. Do we recognize what is happening to our soul when we turn to sin and unrighteous living? I have a, I have a dear friend <clears throat> that for many years he looked so good. Yeah, he got baptized in the church when it was time to get baptized. He did all the right things and he looked so good. But inside, he was filthy and vile and impure. And he was addicted to things of like pornography and things of that that has just had an, a, an effect on his soul that I don't think any of us want, want to go there. And guess what? God did reach down and he touched him. But he did, he lived a vile life looking like a good person. Do we know and recognize the enemy? Ephesians 6 verse 12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. It is easy to blame others for difficulties in life, but we need to remember that we have an adversary that is content on destroying the bride of Christ. And I believe he gets more done through those who profess Christianity than through, through those who are outright evil. The devil comes in so often as an angel of light. He comes in, he just wants, all he wants is to be able to distract you and I and to take our eyes off of Jesus so that we become useless in his kingdom. James chapter 3 verses 13 through 17 
says this, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Is there ever envying and strife in our circles? It says where envying and strife is, there's confusion and not just some evil work. It says every evil work. Verse 17, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And also verse 18, it says, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Has deception crept into my heart? Do we know if we're deceived or not? Have you ever thought of that? Do we go around saying, yeah, I'm, I'm actually deceived? <laughs> Did you know I was deceived? Or No, we don't. when we are deceived, I don't think we actually know that we're deceived. Galatians 6, verse 7 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. I'll look at a little bit here. What is deception? Deception is anything that turns us away from truth. To be deceived means that I have been misled and believe a lie as though it were the truth. As you come to Utah, you will see a lot of deceived people. If you go up and ask those people, are you deceived? What will they say? No, they'll probably say, no, you are. Well, then who's right? <laughs> who's right? Eve was deceived by the serpent in the Garden of Eden. I want to read here Genesis chapter 3. If you want to, you can turn there. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Here simply gives us the account of what took place there in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 3, verses 1. Verse 1, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, but God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall see shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? 
And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest me to be gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Notice what took place here in the garden. Here, here are a few things that, simply, that took place. God instructed Adam not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Satan tempted Eve and, pla- and planted a seed of doubt and simply said, Yea, hath God said, started to question God. Adam and Eve willfully and deliberately rejected God's command and ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Their eyes were open and they were no longer innocent. Then they hid themselves from God because they were ashamed. They were ensnared by fear. And God judged them and sent them out of the garden. But also notice what took place when God came down and asked Adam about what he had done. What did he do? He said, it was Eve. And God approached Eve and said, what did you do? And she says, it was a, it was a serpent. How far did that get them? Didn't get them anywhere. Didn't get them anywhere. It was their own choice. Do my actions have consequences? Going back to Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. And I have that here if you, or you can turn to it as well. Galatians chapter 7, chapter 6, verse 7 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. What are you reaping? What, what you are reaping indicates what you have done with your life. I think as some of us look back over our lives, we're probably not very proud of what has come out of them. Good for good or evil for evil. I know of a dear person who is reaping a lot of things of her past. Evil for evil of Christ. But there are some sins that will continue, you will continue to reap. You can't change it. You can be forgiven, but there are there's consequences that follow. When I invest time in Bible study, prayer, and allow God to fill me with his life, I will reap, what, peace, joy, and true fulfillment. But if I do nothing or pursue the things that the world has to offer, such as pornography, sex, pleasure, wealth, fads, fashion, and entertainment. I will be left spiritually bankrupt, empty, without peace, without joy, without true fulfillment, lost, hopeless, 
and unsatisfied. Where do you find yourself this morning? What are, are you reaping in your life? 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, 9 through 11. says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were, were some of you. But look at this verse. I love this. It says, but such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. That is our hope this morning. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 33 says, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good, good manners. Is it possible to be free from deception? Is it possible to be free from deception? Let's look here in Matthew 24. You can turn your Bible there. Matthew 24, verses 3 through 13. Matthew chapter 24, starting in at verse 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming, and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear the, of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in divers places. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and, shall, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Is it possible not to be deceived? I would say this morning, it is possible not to live in deception. <clears throat> yes, there will be many false prophets that arise. There will be many false religions. There will be many false things. But we have the word of God that we can continue to go back to. I don't know what all you hear from, from people, but I have heard so often say, God told me to do this, and God told me to do that, and God told me this, and God told me that. God gets blamed for a lot of things he doesn't do. And God gets blamed for a lot of things that aren't in, his, aren't in accordance to his, the word of God. But when somebody says, God told me to do this, just simply open your, the word of God. And if it lines up with the word of God, then you don't have to worry about being deceived. But if it doesn't line up with the word of God then that person's deceived. <clears throat> also, verse 24 in Matthew 24 says, For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall, show, and shall 
show great signs and wonders, insomuch, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Now, there was a man who came to Utah some time ago, and, and they were really putting on a big thing. This man had supposedly raised close to 100 people from the dead. And as I looked at all the flyers and the brochures they're putting out, and all, they're trying to publicize this and trying to get us to come to his meetings, there was one thing that didn't ring clear. Everything was about the man. It wasn't about the power of God. It was what this one man could do. And it was pretty evident that it was not of God. Ephesians 5 verse 6 says, Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. And look at that word. God's wrath will be poured out on who? On the children of disobedience. And I think there's a key right there in whether I am deceived or not deceived. If you are living in a disobedience to the word of God, you are deceived. If your will is not in line with the will of God, you are living in deception. I also want to read here Luke 13, 22 through 30. Luke chapter 13, starting at verse 22. It says, And he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate, for many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. When once the master of the house is risen up and has shut the door, and ye begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us, and he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence ye are. Then shall ye begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence ye are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out. And they shall come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. And behold, there are, there are last that shall be first and there are first which shall be last. There is only one way to God. And that's through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And it, it is for those who have had their sins covered by the blood of Jesus Christ and are walking in newness of life and have endured to the end. Pride deceives. Galatians 6 verse 3 says, For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Many will be deceived in the last days. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. I have that here on the overhead. It says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. 
without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, it says, from such, turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and led captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lust, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Then jumping down to verse 12 through 17. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Look at verse 17. It says that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Do we have to fear deception? If we are in the word of God. It says it is given so that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. What is the one thing that will keep us from deception? And I think there's probably more than one thing that keeps us from deception. Number one is a transformed heart. A heart that has been changed and redeemed. And we are walking in newness of life. But there's another thing here, I think, is the word of God and obedience to it. This is what God has given us. So that we can, we can look through here. We can study this. And we can know whether we are deceived or whether we are not deceived. But it's even more than that. I think it even goes into the, becomes as we are a part of the body of Christ. I have a brother that can walk alongside of me. I have brothers that walk alongside of me. And they can point the way to it and say, look, look at this in your life. Or look at that in your life. Are we willing to do that as a brotherhood so that we do not fall into deception? A few verses here. Shall I fear, shall I live in fear of deception? First John four eighteen says this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear hath torment, he that feareth is not made perfect in love. No, we don't need to fear about being deceived if we are perfect in love. One verse here in closing. First John 4, 4. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Do we believe that this morning? Greater is Jesus Christ and his shed blood and what he has done in my heart than he that is in the world. Let's kneel for prayer.